Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Good to see the youth choir back up. Going to sing for us tonight. Hadn't, hadn't got to hear them in a while, so going to love hearing from them. So let's all stand, page 181.
Sing page one hundred and ninety nine.
page 277.
good to see you tonight. If you're glad to be in the house of God, say amen. Good to see all of you tonight. Just a couple of quick announcements. Don't forget this coming Wednesday night, our kids' church starts back, meaning that our restaurant, Miss Sue's Kitchen, will be open and full-fledged cooking big meals back there. So you be here at 6 o'clock this coming Wednesday night. We'll have a good time of fellowship. Then Bible study at 7, and also the kids' church starts at 7. That's it. All right. All right. Has everybody got a study sheet? Everybody get one? If you didn't, raise your hand. Dr. Tim Mitchell will get one to you. All right. Oh, okay, good. Good, good. Look in your Bibles at first, Second Timothy chapter number 2 just for a moment, just to kind of show you the purpose behind all of this of what we're trying to do through this discipleship course. I believe that once someone gets saved, I believe that we need to do all that we can to train them, to teach them, to indoctrinate them in the, in the doctrines of the Bible so that they can grow in, in the grace of God and, and get to know the book and how to rightly divide it. And so I want to show you some things tonight about Christianity, and then we'll look at our study sheet together. And this will be our second night on this, uh, in this discipleship course. Remember, I told you that when we get done, if you complete this course, we'll give you a nice uh, certificate of completion. And, uh, and the thing about that is starting something and finishing it for the glory of Jesus Christ. And uh, so many things in life I started, I never finished. I started out as a Boy Scout, got all the way up to life, and I quit before I even got the, the life badge. I joined the, joined the uh, football team, got the wind knocked out of me, and I quit. And I didn't finish football. I went and bought a trumpet, played trumpet all the way through uh, high school and went into college and quit the trumpet. Everything that I started, I have quit. But thank God. What's been started inside of me, I didn't start, but God himself did. And uh, he's going to finish the work that he started, and so thankful for that tonight. But look in 2 Timothy chapter number 2 tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul, this is Paul's farewell epistle. This is his last epistle that he writes, and look what he says in 2 Timothy 2. He said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus writing to Timothy. And he says this, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So part of discipleship is being able to learn and glean from other men and from studied men and learn the Word of God and learn as much as you can and uh, learn it, learn it deep. Learn it, learn it for, like I say, the glory of God and for your growth. And then be able to learn it to the point where you are personally able to teach someone else what you've learned. That's how Christianity. Do you realize that we're here tonight as a church, still teaching the Word of God, all because Paul taught Timothy. Timothy taught this one. 
that one taught the next one, and on and on and on. And here we are 2,000 years later because somebody took the time to disciples to disciple someone else. And that's what we're intending to do through the, the time that we spend together in the Word of God is to teach you some things that I have personally learned and what the Bible teaches and then go on from there. And I pray that these studies will so get ingrained in you that you'll be able to take these and, and, uh, and teach others because that's what the ongoing of Christianity is all about. So let's look at our sheets tonight. We're going to study another, another thought tonight on, on, uh, on this course of discipleship last time. If you'll remember, we talked about the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God and how it is extremely important for you to understand that that is our sole authority. There is no greater authority than the Word of God. Can I get an amen right there? Uh, There's a lot of churches that teach that some man, maybe like the Catholic Church, who teaches that the Pope is greater than the Bible, and they teach this. They teach what they call ex-cathedra, and they teach this, that when the Pope stands and, and talks, that the words that come out of his mouth is greater and more important and more authoritative than the Word of God. We don't believe that at all. I believe that's heresy. I believe that's false doctrine. And I believe that the book, is the final authority for everything. And what we believe is based on this book, and so that's what we're trying to pass on to you. Now tonight, we want to consider another subject, and it's this subject, the greatest subject that's ever been studied, and that is the subject of Jesus Christ. And the more I study about Him, the more I realize I don't know about Him, and I want to know about Him. Amen. So let's look together. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 16 tonight where Jesus has got his group of disciples with him. And we'll begin there with our study sheet. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, some say that they're John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom... Say ye that I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, look at, his, look at his definitive answer. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, And upon this rock, what is that rock? There's many different discussions about that, but I personally believe that that rock is the the confession that Peter just made about who Jesus Christ is. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that's the rock, the bedrock foundation for Jesus Christ to build His church on. He said, for upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight and then we'll finish up this study tonight on Jesus Christ. Our Father tonight, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us and being good to us. 
And Lord, as we gather ourselves around this study about Jesus Christ, help us, Lord, to understand who you are and to understand exactly what you've done and are doing and forever shall do in life. We love you. We thank you for being with us, Lord. Thank you for the good meeting this morning. But here we are again tonight, desiring and needing more food from your table. So God, add your favor and your blessings to us all now in Jesus Christ's name. And all of God's people said, In this discipleship course, we are considering some of the doctrines of the Bible. It is so very important for any church member to know what their church believes and teaches. Last week, we considered the fact that the Bible is the only source for doctrinal truth. While a church may have a constitution and bylaws set forth to aid in governing the operations that make up the polity of its functions, the Bible is still the guide and authority for all operations and structuring of the local church. Questions surround us as we consider the subject of the local church. Where did the idea of church come, originate? How should it function? What should be included in its makeup and message? The word church simply de defined simply means a called out assembly of believers. The church is not a building, but rather a body of saved people who have assembled themselves together to worship God and teach the word of God. A study of the word church in the Bible reveals that it never appears in the Old Testament, but it is solely a teaching found within the confines of the New Testament. The first time it appears is found in our text of Matthew 16, 18. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Very first mention of the word church in all of the word of God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Caesarea Philippi was home to the temple of Pan. And the ruins of this temple can still be seen there. The city sits at the foot of Mount Hermon, which was known as the Rock of the Gods. It was called such because of the many shrines that were built there. At the rear of the Temple of Pan was a cave with a deep pool from which spring water flowed. Ancient pagans believed that the cave was the door to the underworld and it was called the Gates to Hades. They also believed that this was the actual spot that, that Baal would enter and leave as he traveled between earth and hell. This was the most demonic place in Israel. And it is interesting to note that this is the very place chosen by Jesus Christ to reveal for the first time the doctrine of the church. In the place that some believed housed the entrance to hell... Jesus proclaimed that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. The church of Jesus Christ will prevail against the most wicked place known to the underworld. And I say glory to God right there. It is also interesting to note that Jesus Christ claimed the church as his own when he said, My church. The church does not belong to anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who originated the church with, and any local body of believers belongs to him. While the local church may have assets such as a building, vehicles, furniture, and such like, the people within the assembly 
who are saved by grace are the church proper. The building used by the church is simply a blessing of the Lord given to them for the purpose of assembly. If Jesus Christ claimed the church, we must consider the question, who is Jesus Christ? That question is the foundation of any assembly of people. It is surprising once you investigate this question that there are many varied beliefs about Jesus Christ. Some believe that he was only a good man and a teacher of good things. They believe that his purpose in life was to teach us how to live a good life. Then some believe that he was a created God. And among that teaching is the argument as to when he was created. At what point in his life he became a God differs across denominational lines. Some believe he was just another man until the baptism of John when the Spirit of God came upon him. Others believe that he did not become a God until the crucifixion. And again, the Bible is the only source for truth. A quest for the truth of who Jesus Christ is, is one that will render the student rewarded and continue to seek him to know more about Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? Number one, Jesus Christ, there's no way that I could write any, any number of papers to tell you who Jesus Christ is. It would take from now to eternity future and on through to even begin telling about Jesus Christ. But we're going to look at three foundational truths of who is Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus Christ was, is, and forever shall be God. The scriptures reveal this truth in both Old and New Testaments. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, it says it like this. And we know that the Son of God is come. And hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. In Jude 24, 25, it says it like this, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. First Timothy three sixteen. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Who is he talking about? None other than Jesus Christ. God was manifest in the flesh. That is not a matter of opinion of this writer, nor is it his man-made belief of any church. The Bible is emphatic and dogmatic. In his proclamation and presentation of Jesus Christ. The great doctrine of Jesus Christ is the bedrock and foundation of everything else we believe. If the core belief of Jesus Christ is not founded upon the scriptural teaching about him, nothing else believed will even matter. It is absolutely impossible to overemphasize the importance of Jesus Christ. He is the missing link that scientists have desperately searched for in their quest for answers concerning eternity past. 
They contrived the idea of a Big Bang Theory. But beyond the possibility of a Big Bang, there is eternal God. The only true eternal being in existence is God. Angels and man may live for eternity future. But only God has existed from eternity past. As a matter of fact, He inhabits in eternity. We read it this morning in our opening text. He lives in eternity because He is eternally God. There has never been a time that God became God. Jesus has always been God. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And to the point of Jesus Christ being the eternal God, the scriptures declare him as such. The eternal presence and preexistence of Jesus Christ is declared by the Old Testament. In the book of Micah, when the prophet wrote of the birthplace of the Jewish Messiah, he is described as everlasting. In Micah 5, 2, he says it like this, But thou, Bethlehem Epitaph, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Speaking of Jesus Christ, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Again, in the book of Isaiah, several references to Jesus Christ being God are found. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, the word of God reads like this. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, his name, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Does anybody know what that name means according to the book of Matthew chapter? God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. In chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, But unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now watch this. And his name, Jesus Christ's name, shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, look at this, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ himself claimed to be God. In John 14, verse 8 and 9, Philip was asking him, said, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? In the New Testament, the Apostle John declares that Jesus Christ is God. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is this Word that is called God? John further describes Him as Jesus Christ in chapter 14, verse, or 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh, that's Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You might say tonight, well, Brother John, I don't understand how Jesus Christ can both be God and can be His Son. I don't understand it either. But by faith, 
I believe it tonight because the scriptures declares it to be true. Later in John's first epistle, he wrote these words. In 1 John 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show it unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. In the writings of Paul, the scriptures declare that Jesus Christ is God. In 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Paul also said in Colossians 1.15 about Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. When Jesus Christ came into our world, he visibly manifested God Almighty because Jesus Christ is God. Finally, in the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, John writes of the second coming of Jesus Christ and calls him the Word of God. In Revelation 19, verses 11 through 13, it says, And I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was alone and praying before his arrest in the garden, his words are recorded for us. In John 17, 5, Jesus said these words in his high priestly prayer. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory, watch this, which I had with thee before the world was. In John 17, 24, he said this, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. Watch this again. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Before the world began, Jesus Christ existed and was with his Father in the Godhead. The word Godhead describes the Trinity of God, and yet they together are one God. In 1 John 5, 7, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. When Jesus Christ was on earth, he was 100% God manifest in the flesh. In Colossians 2, verse 8 and 9, the Word of God says this, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When Jesus Christ was on earth, He was 100% God Almighty. He was also 100% man. That's what made him so unique. 
and so, so different from anybody else was he was God and he was man. Only two things can be believed about Jesus Christ. One, either he was an arrogant imposter or number two, he was, he was, is, and forever shall be God. The second choice is the biblical truth. Second thing about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is also the creator of everything. In Colossians 1 verse 16 and 17, speaking of Jesus Christ, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things and by Him all things consist. Listen, if, he, if He's the creator of everything, and He is, and it says that everything created was by Him, listen to it, and for Him, that means you were created for Him. You belong to Him and He alone. <laughs> this is one of the most revealing verses found in the Bible declaring that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. Jesus Christ existed before anything was created and everything created is held together. They consist by Him. In John 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Everything created was created by Jesus Christ. That means when we read the opening verses of the Bible, we are reading about the creating acts of Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 through 3. Think about this as we read these verses. We're reading about Jesus Christ. It says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, that's Jesus Christ. And God said, that's Jesus Christ. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. <laughs> I love reading those verses. The writer of the book of Hebrews upholds this marvelous truth. In Hebrews 1 verse 2 and 3 it says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom? By Jesus Christ, also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, it says it like this, And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, the heavens, but thou remainest. They shall all wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shall thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou, Jesus Christ, art the same, and thy years shall not fail. 
The amazing thing about the thoughts of a creator is that it opposes the thoughts of an inventor. An inventor takes things that already exist and constructs an invention that did not previously exist or supposed not to exist. A creator, and there's only one creator, a creator creates things from nothing. Jesus Christ did not grab some existing atoms and create the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created them by the power of His spoken word. He said, let there be, <laughs> and there was. Hebrews 11.3, through faith, this is the only way we're going to understand this kind of stuff. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. On the sixth day of His creation, Jesus Christ reached down into the dust of the earth that He had created, and from that dust He created man. Another amazing thought about God's creation is that it is created with an apparent history that it does not have. In other words, when God creates, He creates in completeness. And there is no evolution involved in the work of His creation. When Jesus Christ created Adam, He was a fully grown man, ready and mature for the world God placed Him in. The trees in the garden had just been created, yet they were bearing fruit immediately after creation. A scientist looks at creation and imagines that it took millions of years for it to evolve into its present form. Yet, according to the Bible, Jesus Christ created everything in its fullness and it functions today as it was created by Him. Think about how many thousands of years ago it was that God created the sun and the moon and the stars. And they're still functioning because they're upheld by the word and power of Jesus Christ. If there were no Jesus Christ, there would be no sun. There would be no moon. There would be no earth. There would be no me and you. There would be no life. Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. And finally, Jesus Christ, and this is one of the most important things about Him. This is where some people miss the boat. Jesus Christ is the only Savior for sinful man. Leading up to the birth and manifestation of Christ and throughout His life, 333 prophecies were fulfilled. From the beginning of Genesis 3.15 through the book of Malachi, many were the prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. There were several reasons that Christ came to our world, but the greatest reason was stated by Him in John 19.10 where He said it Himself, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. I love that word, save that which was lost. Aren't you glad He came to seek you? Aren't you glad He came to seek and He found you? Aren't you glad He came to seek and He found you and He saved you? Woo! He put a lot of effort into you. Amen. Man is a sinner by nature and by practice and desperately needs the forgiveness of God. 
In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, wherefore by as one man's sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. In Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Without a Savior, man has no merit of his own to ask God for forgiveness. On what basis could we ask God to forgive us? A promise to do better? We certainly would fail. Could we ask forgiveness based on anything we could promise God? Anything that we could promise Him would be vanity. A sinful man needs, or, or I'm sorry, Psalms 39 verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days, this is, this is the psalmist writing about himself and God creating him. He said, Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Sinful man needs a Savior, and the only one provided is Jesus Christ. Next step 4, verse 12. Neither... Is there salvation in any other? For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father. Look at it. But by me. During the time of, this, the time of year we call Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ was for our eternal benefit. We needed a Savior. And Jesus Christ fulfilled that need. He was born of Mary. And He was proclaimed to be the Savior. In Matthew 1, 21, It says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name. Everybody say it. Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. In Matthew 1, 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name, as we read it in Isaiah 9, Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This child was God manifest in the flesh as he laid in Mary's arms. Can I, can I understand that? No. Only by faith can I under, even come near understanding it and believing it. Mary was holding that little child. And he was the creator. God manifested in the flesh. This child was God manifest in the flesh as he laid in Mary's arms. He grew and went about doing good. He healed the sick, walked on water, fed the multitudes. And he raised the dead. But the reason he came was... To die for your sins and raise from the dead. He is your Savior. He did die for your sins and He did raise from the dead. Jesus Christ is alive. In 1 John 2, 2, and He's the propitiation. That's a big long word which just means payment. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Do you realize that even though someone may not believe in Jesus Christ, He is still their only Savior? 
There's nowhere else they can go to be saved. Only Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. I love these verses. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, that includes Joe Biden, that includes Nancy Pelosi, that includes the prince of Arabia, that includes, that includes every person that you can ever think of. One day they will bow their knees and their tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For some, for some it'll be too late. They'll confess Him too late, too late, too late. I'm glad I've already confessed Him. As my Lord and my Savior. <laughs> Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? You've got to answer that for yourself. Are your sins forgiven through Jesus Christ? If not, they can be today. If you would simply believe and call upon the name of Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 This is why He forgave us. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He didn't forgive me because I asked Him to. He forgave me because Jesus Christ paid for my sins. And you remember what Jesus prayed on the cross, the very first prayer? Father, you forgive them, for they know not what they do. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ was the central theme of that first Christmas. The star, the songs, the gift, the joy, the hope, the excitement, all were because of Him, said Billy Graham. I love this statement by Henry Law. A lowly babe lies in the lowly cradle of a lowly town, the offspring of a lowly mother, Look again. That child is the eternal I am. He whose deity never had birth is born the woman's seed. He whom no infinitudes can hold is contained within infant's age and infant's form. He who never began to be as God here begins to be as man. Jesus Christ is your gift from God. He is your only Savior. You need this gift personally. Jesus Christ is your forgiveness. Will you receive Him today? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I pray that every one of you in here are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have finally figured out why He gives us eternal life. It'll take us that long to get to know it. Eternity. <laughs>
everything that he did, John wrote it like this. He said, even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written about him. If we, if we begin right now and every one of us in here were a scribe by trade and we began writing, we would never get the story told big enough because he is wonderful. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. How many of you are saved? Say amen. amen. Brother Tim, did anybody get saved at the jail today? Amen. Any good report on your side, Brother Marty? Amen. Well, if you're glad you was here tonight, say amen. amen. You turn around and tell three people that you love them. God bless. <laughs>